Welcome to Damn Fine Commentary, the internet's only Twin Peaks podcast with a real-life Dave and Lynch. In this series, we'll be reviewing and chatting about each of the 18 parts of Twin Peaks Season 3. So as they say in the Black Lodge... Well, here we are again. I'm Phil Willis. I'm Nath Prasad. I'm Steve Lynch. And we will have a uh, an update from uh, Dave Bluestein very shortly, looking at... Twin Peaks to Return, part 14. Boy, oh boy, what a chock-a-block episode. I think this is probably a world record for the amount of notes that I've made on an episode. <laughs> it goes on for pages and pages. Unfortunately, when I was making my notes, I was doing it on my second watch uh, at about one in the morning on my laptop while my fiancé slept on me and I started dreaming as I wrote my notes. So my notes for this are in themselves like a David Lynch tour de force. You were right in the middle of them. It's like Monica Bellucci, then and just gibberish. And meanwhile, all I'm doing is nursing. I've got RSI in my wrist from writing so many damn notes. I know. Well, um, all right, Dave, take us away. Tell us what the heck happened in Twin Peaks Return, part 14. Director Colin Buckhorn calls the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Office and we get some much-needed exposition, like there are now two Coopers and Lucy has been to Bora Bora. Albert tells Tammy about the Lewis Duffy case, an early case of Coles and Jeffries, which is apparently where the term Blue Rose comes from. A woman killed her conjured doppelganger, which Tammy calls a tulpa. She was like a Blue Rose because they don't occur in nature, because I know when I've just been shot by a Buddhist thought replicant, I go for an obscure metaphor like a Blue Rose. FYI, there are a lot of things that don't occur in nature. We're just lucky she didn't go with I'm the reliable internet provider or altruistic bank. Cole's ears are attacked by an erratic window cleaner and Diane tells them all about the night she last saw Cooper. We also learn that Janie E is actually Diane's half-sister, but they haven't talked in years. Not even a fuck you, Janie E? Oh, sad. Tammy calls the Las Vegas office where a very shouty director plans to track down Dougie Jones, although it turns out to be a pretty common name in Las Vegas. Cole tells the others about his Monica Bellucci dream involving Cooper, which is surprisingly tasteful and not in French. Bellucci says, We are all like the dreamer who dreams and lives inside the dream, which Cole understands. But who is the dreamer? Or more importantly, how much cheese did they eat before they went to bed? Cole's dream then flashes back to February 16, 1989, the day of Jeffrey's brief reappearance, and particularly notes Jeffrey asking who he thought Cooper was. Bobby Hawk, Andy and Frank arrest Chad. Hooray! They then follow Briggs' instructions left by the Major and find Nado, the eyeless whisperer, naked in the forest. A portal opens over Andy and sends him to the White Lodge and Mr. Question Marks, who calls himself the Fireman. The Fireman gives Andy a bunch of visions, including two Coopers and the Woodsman, and sends him back to Earth. The Twin Peaks Avengers assemble, just like a bunch of Woodsmen, and, uh, oh hey, they're in the woods. Then Andy arrives, carrying NATO, and tells everyone how important she is, so they lock her in a jail, as you do, next to a weird, bleeding drunk who speaks in words other people are saying, just like Dougie. The woman starts her chattering monkey noises and the drunk copies her. This makes Chad sad. Suck it, Chad. Meanwhile, James Hurley is hanging out with his English friend and workmate, Freddy, who has a powerful green glove and an even more powerful Cockney accent. Freddy says the fireman gave him the green glove in a dream and he can't take it off without bleeding. It's super strong and he was told to go to Twin Peaks to await his destiny, which is convenient. Also, he can't hold walnuts without pulverising them, just FYI. James goes down to the Great Northern Hotel's furnace room and hears a ringing sound. Weird. Sarah Palmer goes to a bar where a trucker tries to pick her up by threatening to tear off her breasts or something. So she opens her face. She's all space corrupted soul fingers and freaky smiles inside and rips out his jugular with her teeth. At the roadhouse, Sophie and Megan talk about Billy, who was seen in Sophie's kitchen bleeding from the nose and mouth before suddenly leaving. Then Lissy plays a song at the roadhouse and that's all for part 14. There we go. All caught up. Finally, there's actually some communication between police officers in Twin Peaks and the FBI, and they're all starting to get their story together. There's two Coopers. Yes. Yes. Finally. Finally, yes. Um, that was a, that was a nice little bit. The I mean, I know we've spoken on a few time, a few occasions about uh, that they're really dragging out the it's not Harriet's Frank thing, but I liked that moment where Gordon Cole just had a had a, a, a moment that he thought it was. Harry, he mm. said good day to his old pal Harry, and then just getting news like that. I like seeing it. You I don't know. Like, I'm making, I'm making faces and looking at Lynchy like he's he's lost the plot. I'm just over it. Like I, I know that Cole doesn't know that, it, that Harry's sick, but seriously, like we've heard it five times now. Yeah. Like seriously, but what I did love about this scene is the interaction between Cole and Lucy. Mm. No, Cole yeah. says, you know, have you been here all this time? So, <laughs> well, no, I've been home and we've been on vacation. We went to Bora Bora. <laughs> and I'm like, seriously, between Andy's Rolex and this trip to Bora Bora, which is not a cheap place to travel, where are these guys getting this money from? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not letting go of that theory just yet. <laughs> oh, yes, there's something nefarious. <laughs> They're the power behind Chad. I have, actually running all the time. I have a feeling that that theory is about to be debunked by the end of part 14. <laughs> yes. Um, I did also like that Lynch 
he's obviously put in so many long pauses for no explanation whatsoever, and it's one of his uh, one of his trademarks. But here was a totally explained silence because you've got Gordon saying, "What the fuck is up with Lucy?" <laughs> while Lucy's going, "What the much, fuck is up with this guy?" Which is pretty much what we were saying about Lucy for a lot yeah, of the first right. half of this season. Yeah, yeah. Get a debrief about the history of the Blue Rose. Yeah, like so. Seriously, where did all that gear come from? Like oh, no, they've yeah. totally decked out that hotel room. Like yeah. with seventeen laptops, and uh, there's a rack yeah. full of equipment. I and mean, the freight compartment of that jet obviously is a lot bigger <laughs> than we thought it was. Yeah. I would have liked to see some old reel to reels, like the back computer or something. Yeah, that would have been beautiful and yeah. not inconsistent with some of the technology in this show. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, have we seen or heard of? So they talk about the original Blue Rose case, Lois Duffy. Lois Duffy. Um, have, have we? Her name's not been mentioned in any of the not other. Not that sort I know. Of no, and I don't actually believe it's. In in the secret history either. I'm just sort of scroll, scrolling through it at the moment. So, um, And I've got the pages open to a transcript of a conversation that Dougie Milford has with, can you believe it, President Richard Nixon, um, <laughs> which took place in 1973. And basically it's, it's sort of the precursor to the establishment of the Blue Rose Task Force. Yep. Mm. Um, okay. But there's no mention of this, this first case. Mm. But it's kind of it's freaky though, right? Yeah. It's also... Um thrown up a few, not so much fan theories, but uh, some fan art of uh, a young Gordon Cole and a young Philip Jeffries as FBI crime fighters. Oh, yeah. I'm like, that's a comic book series I would love to see. Oh, yeah, that was great. God, yes. Blue Rose, Case Files. Yeah, it's very Starsky and Hutch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All that Blue Rose stuff gave uh, Tammy Preston a lot of reason to nod and turn her head. Oh, far out, man. Like, seriously. (laughs) Like, serious case of overacting 101. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's she's running out of time to to redeem herself. I I really wanted her to have improved by now, but... But anyway, look, she's you know she's on the ball. She knows what a tulpa is. I didn't know what a tulpa was. That's right. Actually, I, I, I meant to look that up. I still haven't. What is um, it? I think it is a um, in some mythology. I want to say Buddhist. Mythology. It is in Buddhism. Yeah. Um, you a, a thought becomes a thing. Comes uh, so B- Buddhism is a lot about yeah. thoughts are things, and we need to be mindful of our thoughts because they are they help create the world. It's like the secret. Yeah, it is. It's like that. Yeah, well, exactly. yeah. I mean, yeah. actually, in a lot of sort of nouveau kind of self help kind of movement. You'd probably call it manifesting or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is somehow the physical embodiment of an idea or something like that, or a physical embodiment of a thought. Tammy is the physical embodiment <laughs> of <laughs> David someone thought. Someone, someone failed to think, yeah. and that embodied got embodied in Tammy Preston. I yeah. know. I mean, like, and I'm, I'm actually really disappointed in Albert for being impressed that Tammy asked obvious questions, like. You know, he says, oh, so what's the question you should be asking? Yeah. Oh, what's the significance of the blue rose? Like, duh, no kidding. If you know the question and the answer, then just save some time and just make a statement. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and then just, if you want, just go, am I off base here? And he's like, no, no, you got it. Uh, that's right. But thankfully, Tammy gets to return to what her true calling is, which is making coffee. Making coffee. Oh, God. <laughs> and again, it's like... If she was a very, very, very capable character in uh, being played by a very, very, very capable person, I'd be like, that's bullshit that I've got to get in the coffee. What the hell? And then now I'm just like, yeah, okay, get the coffee. Too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I'm in two minds. So there's I, there's a part of me, and this is my reaction to um, Christabel playing Tammy Preston, which is like, you know what? You got it. You got skills. They're clearly your skills. Yep. But then there's the other part of me that's a woman and it's like, oh, yeah. seriously? Like, really? Another female stereotype that we go back to? Yeah, it would have been nice if... Albert if they, had gotten uh, up yeah. and made coffee? I was actually about to say it would have been nice if David Lynch had had realised during her performance that maybe she wasn't working out, got someone ultra-capable to be this ass-kicking character, and then she never gets a coffee and she should never have to. Yeah, that's right. I know, uh, but if there's any doubt that David Lynch is the director, um, it's <laughs> Director Cole, so, like, yeah. you know, he's not making anything. No. No. He's just hiring uh, gorillas to squeegee the windows around the <laughs> offices. <laughs> He's just like a ninja just came up and just bam and he's right there. And even after like they did the gag, it had like one last shot of him still there. Just like, just like he's clinging onto the side of the wall. Oh my god, it 
freaked me I out. Know. It's like he's fallen from a window above and he's just managed to catch himself. And he's oh god! But he's realised he's still got a job to do, so he's furiously pumping and squeegeeing that window. Gordon Cole is less calm <laughs> when a man is squeegeeing a window than he is being drawn into the black lodge with the woodsman on. <laughs> yeah, he was just like reaching his hands out there, and now he's like, oh stop but, it! But I think this is well for this part anyway. Part fourteen really is marked by some excellent um, soundscaping and that. The intensity and the volume of that squeegee, like, <laughs> yeah. it really did get into your brain, didn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. You, you kind of felt what Cole was feeling. How do we feel about the reveal that Janie E and Diane are half sisters? Uh, there was on my first viewing of that, my first reaction was, "Oh, come on, really? What are the chances?" Like, how, but I don't know. Second go round, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of on board with it. Yeah, there's a lot of theories. Is too strong a word, but a lot of thoughts of well. I mean, on the one hand, uh, maybe that's exactly who uh, a, a doppelganger, or sorry, not a doppelganger, but a manufactured yeah. portion of Cooper would be drawn to is someone that has um, has some links to his old life or, or give it, draws back some memories yep. of his old mm. life. Um, but then there's another theory that, uh, again, Diane is not letting on everything she knows and that if, if there is some level of... Uh, of cooperation between her and Badcoop, then it makes sense that she's put him, she's put Dougie Jones with Janie. Yeah. Well, I'm not entirely sure that I buy that she actually is the half sister. Oh, do you think that she's? Okay. Do you, do you think, think she's manufactured as well? Well, I'm not entirely sure, but I just think there might be a little bit. Well, actually, many many parts ago, I did have a. A thought or a reaction that maybe Janie E and Sunny Jim were manufactured. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I'm not sure how I stand about them, that theory at the moment, but based on, I'm not entirely sure that I trust Diane enough to believe that she's went her when she says that Janie is a half sister. Wow. Okay. Because I have a feel if she is working with Coop, this is all very convenient, and I just wonder whether this is all a bit of a contrivance. Yeah. To actually get Cole headed into the direction of Vegas. Mm. It's yeah. It's that's. An interesting point that she's that she's jumped on it. Now, if that's true, she's very, very quick off the mark because it was it came off uh, the ring, and mm. so that was an immediate reaction by her uh, to say to recognise the name and offer Ford that the that that was unless she, she knew unless she, she had the ring beforehand. The ring. She right? knows because she must have known about the ring beforehand because she's texting Las Vegas question mark Las yeah. Vegas question mark like yeah, there's that. Well, and I. Yeah. I, Have they asked about Las Vegas? Not yet. You know, they, so she knows that that information is going to come up eventually. And maybe she's leading them there because they've been too slow. Yeah, yeah. 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 So anyway, so, I, so I, I'm not entirely sure I, I, I buy this in. And look how convenient that they've been estranged for, estranged for years. Yeah, that's right. She doesn't really know anything about her, but the fact that she, that she last knew that they were living in Vegas. Yeah. Would have been freaking nice if when Gordon Cole called the the Vegas instead of Mister and Mrs Douglas Jones, Douglas Jones and his wife Jane. Jane yeah, just, no, that would have narrowed it down. The yeah. guy yeah. said, "Like, go, this is what we do. Yeah. Like, I love this that. is what we do, but we've got some help." I thought that was just <laughs> it, it just was, marvelous, it was genius. Wilson, I've told you. Oh, I love it. Another thing that. Uh, that I think is some maybe less than stellar police work by the old FBI team there is when he's really pushing down he's like did Cooper mention Briggs that night and she's like yes good now that we've established that (laughs) how about I say what did he say about it any Any follow up questions that we may have no no just just mention him Gordon Cole gets all his information from his Monica Belushi dreams anyway so (laughs) that's right well who doesn't yeah and uh, uh, he obviously does on enough occasions that when he mentions <laughs> I've had another Monica Blues yeah, yeah, Albert yeah. and, and <laughs> Christopher Bones like oh god <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile I'm going yes because <laughs> who wouldn't so I've been hanging for this moment I, I'm, I've hung for this moment almost as much as I had hung for the return of Audrey oh okay yeah um, and we didn't know what guys Monica Bellucci would take, but what better form than herself? Yeah, yes, so you, that's were, right. you were happy with the, that reveal? Oh, God, I was so excited. Very so cool. Excited. Yeah, it's amazing. And I love the way that they managed to integrate it back to all of the stuff from Fire Walk With yeah, Me and all totally. that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a really nice re-entry of uh, Philip Jeffries. I had to double-check, and I didn't go back and watch the original Fire Walk With Me because 
I didn't know whether they had maybe dubbed extra lines in for David Bowie. Mm. Do we actually see him say that stuff? No, he no, they did not. They redubbed him saying the same lines. So it's actually a Another. new voice uh, do over the top of oh, what he said in right. Firewalk Three. I think it's a different camera angle. Yep, and one word is different, and whether that word is relevant or not, I think it's who do you think that is there. Um, oh, that is different, is it? Yeah, it's like it's one word different, but only like a, a really. Who small do you word. think that is there? Yeah, I'll, I'll need to get back to you on what the difference is. Wow. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, there is a credited, um, a credit at the end for Nathan Frizzell, and it's just voice. Yes, and he tweeted that night. So just after it screened, he said, "Now I can reveal what I've been the, right. the greatest honor of my career so oh, far." Wow. Really wow. Dubbing David Bowie. Oh, wow! Like, yeah, and seriously. of course, at the time, uh, you can die on that. With that basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I, and obviously, once you sort of hear the, well, who do you think that is? There, having seen everything that you've seen, of course, you're like, whoa. So this was FBI Philadelphia offices in 1989. Mm. This is, in theory, before Cooper has gone to Twin Peaks to investigate Laura Palmer's murder. Yep. Was that the real Cooper before he got to Twin Peaks, or not? Yeah. I feel like they're they're retconning in a way that they were totally able to because there was so little that was explained. Yeah, problems. there's a lot of retrofitting yeah. going but, on here. Because even then, uh, even when we were watching Firewalk with Me in 1992, the character of Cooper was already yeah. trapped in the yeah. lodge. So the idea that yes. someone who's travelled in the lodge yeah. where time has no meaning sees him and says yeah, totally. and sees something wrong yeah. is not inconsistent from what it was then. But you're, you're exactly right. The way that the narrative. Has developed now, yeah. gives it heaps more depth. Exactly, and look, even the the words that Cole and Albert put around that, um, as Cole's explaining this dream, I, I find a little curious. So, Cole says, "Damn, I hadn't remembered that," and I'm like, "Wouldn't you just say I'd forgotten that?" Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It just sort of mm. makes me wonder whether there's some significance in that. And then Albert says he's beginning to remember it too, which to me yeah. also just seemed a little weird. Yeah, yeah, it's an odd, odd choice of words, odd, odd turn of phrase. Yeah, for sure. But there's this great droning, humming, low humming soundtrack that sort of underpins the entire dream sequence, which yeah. just gives it that sort of sense of real eeriness. Yeah. Also, some other uh, unexplained things like Monica Bellucci bringing her two friends, but then only one of them. You only see one of them at the coffee. There, yeah. was, there was another guy, was a guy. That was mm. staring yeah. off into the into space. But as, as Gordon says, Monica was very pleasant. She brought friends. <laughs> we all had a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> when so we talked about this um, a few episodes ago, maybe episode eleven, I think, where we had the zombie girl in the car and all that stuff, and we were all saying like these all of these weird um, all of these weird horror tropes are popping up. It's almost like um, they're just dreamlike impressions of mm. uh, a malaise or something wrong. Uh, it turns out that we are like the dreamer who dreams and lives inside the dream. But who was the dreamer? It actually brings a whole another level of metaness to this uh, mm, thing. Absolutely. Is that can we even trust what we're watching when the scenes unfold or is, or is that contained within someone's dream, either in the, mm. presumably one of the main characters or something like that? I don't know. Yeah, and there's a couple of other questions. I think it's a really good point because, you know, when you then go sort of a few seconds later and you they flash back to those scenes in Philadelphia with, with Philip Jeffries, it does kind of... It feels like a dream within a dream. Yes, yeah, unfolding, yeah. Unfolding, which uh, is really... Is really interesting. The one question I do have one question for you guys is: Do you think that it's significant that Cole couldn't see Cooper's face in the dream? And if you do think it's significant, why? Answers: Yes, and fuck if I know. I think so too. there's all sorts of things you can do. At the most, even at the most basic level. Sometimes, you know, you have a dream where he says, oh, I was, I was a dream. It was in my house, although it wasn't really my house. You know, like there are details in the dream that sometimes get muddled like that. Like I, I, knew, it was, I knew it was my dad, but I, I didn't really see his face uh, and he was wearing different clothes or something. So, you know, like you have these dreams and yep. but there are certain thing, elements of it that are not um, Yeah, not like correct. a faceless person, but you kind of know who they are, but you don't. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is, that, oh, look, uh, right to the other end of the spectrum is he could have taken his face off and now he's got a, uh, a grinning uh, beast inside there. Maybe. I'm not entirely sure about that because I think you do actually see sort of from his sort of basically bottom lip with his chin down. Mm. And that is a very distinctive Kyle McLaughlin chin. But I, I wonder whether it's also the fact that, um, you know, when you look into someone's face and look into someone's eyes, you generally get a sense of who they are because mm. eyes, of course, being the window to the soul. Yep. And if there's two Coopers out there, not being able to see Cooper's face 
you're not quite sure which Cooper it is. And yeah. I wonder whether that's some kind of subconscious kind of messaging to, to Cole. Yeah. Even though he can't quite... Maybe I'll yeah. string that together. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I have just found, actually, sorry to go back, uh, that it, it, the different line uh, is, originally in Firewalk With Me, he says, who do you think this is there? And now it has been changed to who do you think that is there? Now, that's what I mean when it's oh. like, it's only one word and it doesn't seem meaningful, but it's been very deliberately changed. Mm. So, Who do you think that is there? When, what, was the, what was the first one? Who, who do, you, do th- you think this is there? This is. It's almost like that thing is it's a thing. It's an object. It's not a real person. It's yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of reading it. Yeah. I mean, look, if we... Um can find a couple of clips on YouTube. Maybe we can put them on the on the show. Yeah, notes. a bit of side by side. Yeah. Also, uh, I, uh, I I I love the idea that because there will be a big chunk of people watching Twin Peaks season three who have not seen Firewalk with me, um, such as my partner when she was watching it with me, and. So she just thought that there was some amazing de-aging work happening. He looks so young. David Lynch looks so young. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, that was was actually pretty impressive. It's one of the great things about a show that has been – it hasn't been running – you know, obviously hasn't been running for 25 years, but they've got access to really high-fidelity, you know, film – stock from yeah. that time that they can go back to originals. It still looks fantastic, still looks beautiful. And as we said before, because the original Twin Peaks and Firewalk With Me was so uh, vague and, and, you know, nuanced and subtle enough that you can actually layer your own meaning on top of a lot of what's going on. So, yeah, it's very easy to, as Much you say, like to, to yeah, retrofit mm-hmm. stuff on top of yeah, that. Yeah, there's so base. much mythology available to them. And I, I feel like I love the... I love the deepening of the Twin Peaks season one and season two mm. points, like the lodge and that sort of thing. Mm. But the firewalk with me, I didn't see it as often. It felt somewhat, sometimes it just felt very other to yeah. the series. Well, and also because it was much maligned for so yeah, long. So, and it kind of, for most people, I guess it really didn't, and we've talked about this before, it didn't make sense. Yeah. It and didn't sit well with the original Twin yeah. Peaks. And the idea that they can now use that in a way that it's going to deepen your enjoyment of it going back to it, that all of a sudden Philip Jeffries is a highly meaningful character. Mm. The possibility is that Judy, um, that, that throwaway line from all those years ago, could still be relevant. Yeah, I have a feeling you're right. Um, and, of course, you know, we're already getting it with Dale has been trapped in the good lodge. Like, Sorry, the, the good Dale is tra- trapped in the lodge. Yeah. We're now able to give Lynch more credit than he really deserves, which is, <laughs> oh, my God, he was layering this in 1992, <laughs> knowing that we'd get to this moment. Oh, and, look, I think you've also got to give a lot of that credit to Mark Frost as That's well true. because, you know, one of the things that he does so well is tie loose ends and, and like, you know, we talk about the secret history quite a bit and, and actually that really was a way of tying the loose ends using all of the stuff that Mark Frost is into, whether it's history and all the rest of it. And, and look, some of it is a bit hokey. That is mm. absolutely true. But I think without this book, um, there there would still be elements of season three that you sort of think, mm, that doesn't yeah. quite fit with yeah. what we've seen before. Yeah. I'd love to be have been a fly on the wall with the Frost and Lynch meetings where they were nutting out the story and whether uh, the the intersection with the movie was something that Lynch was pushing and Frost said, okay, well, I can I can work with that, or whether Frost himself, having not been involved in it, mm. saw it immediately with outsider's eyes and said, okay, we can use this, this and this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, Mark Frost totally wanted to, like, pick up the bit of Twin Peaks from, like, about season, episode nine of season two right mm. through to... You know, maybe the last few episodes before David Lynch came back, for sure. Yeah. Because yeah. they were the best bits, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We're um, going to see Evelyn, I'm sure. <laughs> no, that's right. Um, look, it's not all bad news in Twin Peaks. Chad just got arrested and thrown into jail. Chad got chatted. Yes. Oh, Tough man. luck, Chad. And, uh, and Truman and Hawk and Andy and Bobby decided to go for a walk. Out yeah, to... it's, it's beautiful filmed. It's I fantastic. Love it. You know, I love the methodical way in which Andy is laying out these four identical <laughs> metal boxes. Yeah. Bobby comes in with his double R to go boxes and he's laying out them very methodically in a perpendicular fashion, these four <laughs> sandwiches, <laughs> all of which have cheese. And, yeah. and Hawk, you know, being that deeply spiritual and deep thinking person that he is, just says... Who would have just cheese? And the look on Andy's face is, as the cheese are added, the, the just cheese, and he's like, yes, that one's going to be mine. 
the urine of the, and when they actually get into the the woods, the 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 way it's shot and the performances. I thought Dana Ashbrook was awesome. The way he he went back to oh, the, way, the way he recognised everything. He's totally one of my favourite characters this this season. I've said who it before, and I'm going to say it. And who would have thought? Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's nice to see Chad get his comeuppance. Yes. Um, no, and not and even an attempt to explain what they were getting for, or, or that they were what they you know you never saw the net closing in. You're just like fucking Chad, what a pain in the ass he's up to all this stuff. Oh, I know, and they knew it they all knew this it, time. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, it, Frank says. I mean, I think the only giveaway is Frank says they've been watching for months. So yeah. You know. yeah, it also gives context to you know we thought Hawk was a bit of an asshole for not opening the door for him when he had his hands yeah. full. He's taking his lunch out. Of course, he's not going to because now they know everybody knows that Chad is a real Chad and he's, he's <laughs> up to his eyeballs in uh, whatever. Um, stuff he's been doing, all corruptions. The bad shit that he's been doing, yeah. yeah, of course. Then it makes a lot more sense that, of course, Hawk's not going to open the door for him. No, open your own damn door, Chad. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I love it. I think it's great. Um, we had another tr- like terrific item of law when Andy, uh, when they're in the woods and they finally. 253 paces or whatever they did with keep the soil in your pockets and all that mm-hmm. stuff and they discover Nido from who I don't think we've seen since not since episode 3 part yeah, 3 no, no, we she was seen last seen floating into space into non-existence into yeah. non-existence yeah. oh okay right so when she floated yeah that's right she pulled the lever on the on the bell on the pylon yep. and then she flew into space so this is so this is her having landed down on earth from yeah. non-existence yeah. ah right yeah and yeah. losing her clothes in the in yeah the process. I don't know yeah. what happened there there's this really that whole scene of, of our intrepid foursome walking through mm. the woods is A it's beautifully filmed and it's a beautiful piece of um, the world I, I, Lynch I know you've yeah. been to Snoqualmie but I don't know whether you actually ended up in the we d- didn't go there, deep in the time. woods but even just driving driving through Sort of deep into Snoqualmie as you, as you get towards <laughs> the woods yeah I think when I told you the story about the the uh, school bus overtaking yes. disappearing yeah that was the near. That was actually near the area we were in. So, like, oh my god! Oh <laughs> my god! Wow. But uh, it, it is those. The woods have that exact feel, that exact flavour, and yeah. it is a really beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it also reminded me, and we will definitely put a link to this. Um, there's an, a, an Australian film that was made in the 1970s called Picnic at Hanging Rock. Oh yeah, and it's basically about um, three schoolgirls who disappear from. A place uh, in, I think it's in the Macedon Ranges or in the Dandenongs in Victoria. And this place is also, it's believed that it's got sort of some sort of magnetic force that operates within it. And, and, and in the story, anyway, and it's a work of fiction, but in the story, um, three girls disappear, one comes back, she's unable to remember what happened, um, and, and we don't actually really know what happened to them. So, And I felt it was very reminiscent. And I don't know, I, I don't. Is that based I, on a true story? Is it? I, Oh, maybe it is actually. But, yeah, but you, yeah. The, the 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 point obviously stands. It's, yeah. yeah, there is that real. And I mean, I don't know whether Lynch is aware of the, was aware of this or was sort of drawn any inspiration. But the way mm. it was filmed, even the way that the the four walk in a you know you one behind right. each yeah. other. Was it really reminded me of that? that really, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. That's yeah, well, definitely. All the show notes for this episode are going to be daveenlinch.com forward slash part fourteen. And not surprisingly, um, the the clearing in which Nido was found, there's smoke rising, yeah. you know, low lying smoke. There's electricity crackling. There's blue light flashing. It's clearly a um, a, a portal spot. Mm. Mm. A couple of things I noticed from that. Seemed even going back uh, before they uh, reached that that part, the the very beginning of the woods scene, there was a close up of electricity wires, mm. and you yep. could hear the crackling, and the the wires were there, and they were surrounded by the trees. But then straight after that shot, it moves back to wide shots, and in none of these shots from that point on do you see electricity poles or electricity wires in yeah. the background. Yeah, yeah. So it's really. It's it's setting the place there and totally. telling you this is where here there be spirits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you never you never see that electricity again. Also, when they the, the point at which they find Nido, did you notice the sort of the white milky substance on the on the ground? There was like a pool. Yes, yeah, of, yeah, which yeah. Like which milk, looks but, not dissimilar to the um, 
There's a little pool in Glastonbury Grove. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. that one is black and, yes. and sort of burned engine yes, oil. Yes, that's right. And this one's white. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. So, and actually, it, at some point, it sort of actually almost looks like it sort of becomes golden in colour. Mm. And when I sort of think about gold and how Lynch has used it, the last time we were, he used it in a really meaningful way is the orb in which Laura Palmer is contained and yep. she's sent to Earth. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So Andy's the first person to touch Nido and it seems to me like that somehow gives him special permission or special opportunity to disappear up into the vortex. I think that's just because he he shows a level of empathy. That that's what I took away yeah. 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 I mean, they all have empathy, but I but think that he obviously had some sort of... The most pure of spirit. The most pure of spirit, exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, that scene was so, so beautifully framed, framed, and even though there are many surprises in this show, you are definitely led to know that Andy was going to play a very significant part just yeah. from the way that the, the framing shots were established. Yeah. I never thought, though, that Andy would become the Brandon Stark of... He's <laughs> <laughs> like, he is the three-eyed Yes, yeah, right. Um... Yeah, so Andy gets whisked up into the White Lodge. He gets to see all of the episodes that we've already seen so far. He, I think they just sat him down and he just watched uh, all the episodes up to yeah. yeah. And maybe even some of the future episodes because I think of all of the things that he sees, so he sees a lot of the stuff that we've seen from part eight, like Mother and the birth of Bob and the convenience yeah. store with the woodsman in there. And, and he goes back and watches the pilot episode midway through. Like yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, let's go back to the pilot episode. We see the um, the girl in, running in the school when she finds out about the news about Laura Palmer's death. We saw Laura flanked by two angels. Um, we even see shots of uh, Nido. There's, he sees two Coopers. Uh, but, and he sees stuff into the future, I think, because there is a shot of him guiding Lucy to go and see something mm. and she's clearly stunned or surprised by what she's seeing but I don't I don't know I don't remember seeing that so far it's Wally Brando who's coming back <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wonder if it might be because her eyes dart from one part of the room to another part of the room mm. and wonder if it might be the two Coopers oh maybe yeah Ooh. that's a great that's a great so, theory someone I think online even mentioned like what if bad Coop uh cuts his hair and puts on a suit and and then they're actually you know that that old trope of yeah. I'm the real one no I'm, I'm the, the real one, one. Yeah, well, I mean you totally would expect he would so who better to work out who's who than someone like Lucy uh, I, think, uh, I think the eyes would have it in that instance yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice um, um, we also found out confirmation of that theory from uh, back in episode 8 that the giant or question mark question mark question mark question those question marks. Those seven question the marks. Fireman. Yeah. yeah. The, the giant is the fireman. And we were talking before about where that theory came from because I feel like this is a confirmation, not a revelation. Like, I feel like uh, there was a... That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, it was... It was I guess because there was a music track called The Fireman or yeah, The Fireman's Waltz. Yeah, a track, actually. Yeah, in, yeah. That, um, part eight. Yeah, so then a lot of people were saying, well, that's got seven letters, the seven question marks. Is that the guy's name? And he seems to be the force that is trying to work against the fire and electricity, the dark powers that are operating in yeah. the other lodges. So, yeah. That's how I read it too. Is there any significance to the, the number six telephone pole? I'm, I must admit, you guys have gone you're down the rabbit hole on that. I just think it's a, just a nice little bit of imagery. I don't, I don't see it any more than that, but I don't know. Do you have got thoughts? My, I was surprised that I had the thought that I'm about to articulate because it hasn't, they haven't really pushed it in any other part of the series, um, and that is the idea of like six 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 number of the beast. That oh, sort yeah. of thing. Because though, if they were pushing that sort of thing, that would have come up in the Black Lodge mythology somewhere, yeah. but yeah. it never has. Yeah. But I did find it very very strange that it was the exact same pole and the the same location, just three different shots, and the strongest effect for me, coming out of that was that number six really just popping out. Yeah, right. The only thing I could say in support of that theory, I don't know, sure, I'm not so sure about the 666 number, the mm. beast kind of thing, but we have seen two telegraph poles with the number six. So the, the first one we see at the old Fat Trout Trailer Park, which is just near where Chet Desmond disappears, yep. Yep. and that is in a different location to the new Fat mm-hmm. Trout Trailer Park. But we also see the telegraph pole with a six there, and we see that in the episode, the Hit and Run episode with little boys is murdered. Yep. So yep. there may be a third pole somewhere yeah. with a number six. Yeah, it's if there is, then it's 
hinting at that from a story standpoint standpoint rather than showing them because I had to go back and I was like, is this the exact same telephone pole? And it is. Like the, those yeah. three shots, you're seeing the same yeah. things in the background. Oh, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So. And look, I mean, I have a long-held theory about, um, or at least a long-held observation about the use of number three or multiples of three. So, you know, the, the, the portals into which Cooper had the opportunity to, to travel, there was a number three, there was a number 15, the telegraph pole's number six, and I think there's a few other references to number three. I think, actually, even if you add the digits of where the Joneses live, um, that actually all adds up to number three as well. So, or distills down to number three. So, yeah, yeah. You know, look, three is, th- you know, it, maybe there's some numerological reference there. We'll, we'll dig something up and maybe put it on the show notes, but I, I, it's just an observation. Mm. Yeah, all right. Um, speaking of three, the remaining three cops uh, make their way back to Jack Rabbit's palace, and then um, Andy brings up the rear, and he's carrying Nido. And he looks fucking cool by this stage. Oh, he? yeah, he has. Oh, well, he's, he's seen the light. Past. He's come back from. Uh, he completes the full hero's journey. He goes on the journey, answers the call, and then comes back with knowledge and wisdom uh, that he's able to share with other people, which is that someone's trying to kill Nido. And that they need to protect her. Now, I don't know why they don't take her to the hospital. They put her in jail. Because <laughs> that's, the, well, I guess that's, that's what we do to strangers. Well, here. let's put it this way. When the hospital at Twin Peaks, what's happened there? Oh, yeah, true. Oh, yeah. People get smothered. People, People get killed, really. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's <right. laughs> so it's, it's not as Um One of the lovely things about this whole sequence is, is Bobby coming to the fore and telling this, you know, these guys don't speak to each other. And Bobby is the one who is leading the way. And he tells the story about how... His father took him there. And he says, you know, Dad said um, never to wander around here by himself. And you think, oh, well, of course, because it's the woods and, you know, he'd be by himself and he'd be a kid. But actually there's obviously, because it's a bad place and Garland Briggs knew that the, that the bad things happened yeah. in this place. But I went actually, I actually went back and sort of did a little bit of dating of, to try and work out um, some chronology. So the, according to the secret history, the Briggs has arrived in Twin Peaks in 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, which would have made Bobby about eleven years old, so it kind of fits in with the you yep. know, the age at which he might be spending some time with your dad, and just before, of course, their relationship deteriorates when he's an eighteen-year-old, and you yep. see that in part in season one. Yep, yep, yeah, good, good. Um, so we take uh, we take Nido back to prison. Chad's still there, being a Chad, and there's a third person in there who just repeats everything that is said, or in the same way that Dougie does, right? Like, he repeats the last line of everything, including um, everything that Chad says and all that sort of weird clicking and buzzing sonar noises that uh, Nido Nido's makes as well. Yeah. yeah, And I think he's just um, credited as drunk at this point in time. Yeah. You've got a theory, don't you, know? Well, if you look at what's going on around his mouth, there is a blood-like substance that is coming from, from his mouth. And yeah. The last time we knew about someone who was bleeding from the mouth was when was is Billy. Yes. This mysterious Billy who has been missing for, for some days. Because Audrey dreamed about him, didn't she? Audrey dreamed. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, I'm just, uh, in my notes, I just write him as Billy. I'm like, for me, he is You've Billy. Assumed. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, in uh, probably by part 16, it'll be revealed that it's not Billy, and, and I'll have to rewrite my notes. But other than that, no, I'm, oh, I'm just going. Yeah, maybe, look, I mean, look, the, it, it's, to me, it doesn't actually really look like it's blood. Like, you see this sort of pool of. Yeah. Goo that's assembled. It actually reminds me more of the the stuff that was coming out of Zombie Girl's mouth in. Um, oh yeah, right. The maybe pile up yeah. at um, just outside the Double R. Mm. Yeah. Oh. But I can understand how you might think that it would, it would be blood because what else could it possibly be? Yeah. Also in that scene, or as that scene progresses, the the sounds that Nido is making, and then when that is added onto by Billy, uh, it's sounding more and more like monkey sounds. Yes. And. Yeah. The last time we heard anything about monkeys Correct. was that freaky shit in Firewalk with me. Oh, with the monkey with the, the mask on. Yeah. The monkey with the mask yeah. on. And right at the end of uh, Firewalk with me, there's sound of a monkey saying Judy. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. How did they train the monkey to say Judy? All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, it was a boy It song. was when it said, we're not going to talk about Judy. <laughs> yeah. that was real well, they didn't mean there. the monkey couldn't talk about Judy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we go, we're at the Great Northern, and finally we work out what James has been doing with his life. Yeah, he's a what, like a security guard he's or something at the guard. at the Great Northern. And we all, and we we learn a little bit more about his um his gloved friend, who we've I, the only time we saw him, I think, was in part one or two at, when they walk into the um 
to the roadhouse. Yeah, mm. and James has always been cool. Yeah, <laughs> so it means that. So, and we've talked about this before in terms of the chronology. This could well have happened before they came into the roadhouse, Which right? Which is exactly this is what I'm I'm thinking. I'm guessing that's kind of where they've gone. Um, Freddie, who's got the worst Cockney accent I've ever heard. Oh, it's yeah. bloody awful, isn't it? Oh, it's just terrible. It just. It, if that is his real accent, I apologise to the actor. If he plays Freddie, I'm absolutely sorry. But, um, but oh, God. Oh, look, I suspect he, even if it is his real accent, he probably was He did was directed to ham it. He was hamming up a bit. He chose to ham yeah. it up a little bit. And what, I, what I'm puzzled by is how the hell did James become fluent in Cockney rhyming slang? <laughs> because he's pretty much understood everything that has been that Freddie has well, Maybe he just nods his head and says, like, oh, yeah, he broke his Gregory, did you? Oh, okay, right. Snap, <laughs> snap his Gregory. <laughs> Well, what I'm puzzled about from that scene is that after 20 years of the giant saying, I cannot tell you more, here is a ring and the, the bag who smiles and now is saying, grabbing a cockney guy saying, now, go to Cockney, <laughs> yeah, right. on this flight and you're going to have a superhuman out. It's like, fuck you, giant, how about yeah. give me his exposition like that? I and he bought him an airline ticket yeah, that was but, waiting yeah. for him. I just, yeah, it, I didn't really like that. It didn't sort of seem to ring true compared to everything else that we know no, yeah. how the giant op or the fireman yeah. operates. Although I guess the other thing is uh, this is the way that he's telling the story. So if it, if it just so happens that that character interpreted it that way and now he's just... Oh, you're being very forgiving. I'm being very forgiving. Yeah, no, that's, I know to me that I've had the same interpretation is that if Andy told his story about what he saw in the, in the lodge... He might also say, oh, yeah, and the yeah. giant told me this and the giant told me that, even though he's probably receiving it through what looks like visual images and all that stuff, maybe he's his own internal explanation of what happened is that yeah. someone actually told him in English yeah. all these, these bits and pieces. Which means that the only character who's never been able to speak giant is Dale Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the least intuitive, well, least say, spiritual guy. I was going to say, if you pass a go, Phil, you actually said you didn't think Coop was a very good detective. So yeah. you know, now we're starting to really unpick all of Coop's flaws. Yeah, I look, I love the I love the character of Cooper, but I just think he's, I don't think he's a good detective. <laughs> I think he's terrible. Did anyone else pick this up? That So James goes into check the furnaces did you pick up the did you can hear that high humming yes, yes. absolutely oh it is yes, okay absolutely. so it wasn't just me right. high pitched ringing so, basically uh, what felt like the I, I felt like that Ben Horn suspected that it was because he was directed to go there to, to look into the, the furnaces oh yeah right so maybe Ben Horn is feeling that the, the humming sound they've sort of tracked it down yeah um, yeah well and, yes and, and, that, and as it, that ringing becomes more and more intense or louder mm-hmm. um, as he nears this, this door. Mm. Have we have we posited the fact that it could be um, Josie Packer trapped in the... Packer, yeah, it could be. Tra- she's, she's gone from the doorknob down there. <laughs> yeah, she's just... Well, everything's in wood there, so she's just working her way through the wood, down through the floorboards. Through it into the furnace on the top of the Oh, God. I mean, look, I kind of like that James was given something slightly more meaningful to do and mm. I, I think that's because Lynch has probably been very kind to you mean cracking walnuts because <laughs> <laughs> the other guy is, is, is too powerful no, um, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know but no no but actually going through checking the furnace and you know I don't know it, it just felt like he was given a little bit more to do and which made him a little bit more interesting because quite frankly he's I, I hate saying it because it's really uncharitable but he is a very bland character mm. I, look I think I mean I thought he was a bland character first time out, and now there's there's not hope for the character in terms of his his narrative, but there's some explanation for it. Um, he's you know, he's been in an accident, and also just that that general pathos, like he serves the pathos of the show now. That I think in this right. small town, yeah. twenty five years later. A lot of people are trapped there and their lives haven't gone anywhere and he really sums that up. Oh, yeah. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, my heart sank when, you know, I sort of realised that he was a security guard at the Great Northern and that's no judgement at all about the job. It's more that, you know, he set off, he was off in search of adventure. Mm. Um, he had to flee the town, but ultimately it, it dragged him back in. Yeah. 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 Then now he's hanging out with one-punch Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Freddy. We... 
get to see one of my favourite <laughs> scenes in the entire, everything I've seen oh, so far. Sarah Palmer is out of booze, so she's decided she's going to go down to her local. Well, the, no, sometimes you just need to ch- change a scene. Oh, maybe. She was just tired of watching that boxing clip on a loop after, yeah, over maybe, and over again. Maybe, yeah. or, you know, tired of... Well, I think what we, we do see is she real that, that nature documentary she was watching, it was obviously an educational video. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Wow. That makes total sense now. Anyway, you've already heard the summary from um, Dave, and look, honestly, you've already how many times you've already watched we, the film. We can't say it often enough. She takes off her fucking face yeah. Yeah. and, and then munches on a dude's neck. Oh man! I uh, can we? We'll need to put up on the. So I actually felt my jaw drop. So I actually, I, I actually just just took a selfie of myself doing that because <laughs> I was like, this is a genuine reaction yeah. and I need you guys to see what's happened the exact moment I've seen Sarah Palmer take her fucking face off. Yes. I love that you had the presence of mind <laughs> or you, sometimes you left your body to yeah. actually say, I better take a photo Monica of Monica Bellucci <laughs> told me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also she's the, I mean, well... Sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Let's let's unpack this a bit more. Yeah, I think that's, we should. It deserves it. It's so freaking cool. I agree. It was one of my favourite scenes of the whole series. And it also, it's not. So it's it's not. It's completely unexpected, but not unprecedented. So we've already been talking about that. Um, something is fundamentally really, really broken with Sarah Palmer. Mm. We were positing that maybe there's a doppelganger Sarah Palmer going on, that she's definitely touched and in touch with the supernatural. Um, she's got the gift of People foresight and vision. People whether it was Cockfrog that actually... You know, entered her mouth when she was a child. Yeah, so we were, yeah, we were talking about that. Uh, we thought it might have been Sarah Palmer who um, ingested the cockfrog. And, and by the way, that's our name for it. It's got yeah. so many other names out there. No, that's the official name, cockfrog. Yeah. yeah, especially Trademark. when it finds its way into people's mouths. <laughs> yes. We trade that with Yeah. Um, the, so the thing that's inside her could either be the full grown, what, you know, what a cockfrog larva turns into when it becomes fully grown, or it could be the hollowed out. A bit of it's, her. It's eaten her innards. It's, in, it's, it's eaten her soul. Yeah, and that's like that. what's left. Um, so. But I mean, you do get a sense of what's inside her when she takes her face off. And one of the things that's in, I mean, you see the picture of, is it some witchy things that sort of just jab out, but you also see a smile. There's like a, a smile. teethy yeah, smile. It's smile. Laura Palmer's smile from her homecoming picture. I, it's, it's, I think that's been well, debunked. Well, tell me how it's been debunked, because I. I mean, someone, I'm not sure that I actually agree. Someone uh, put them side by side, and the first person said, "Here's the similarities." But then someone else, what a dentist weighed into the the way that she opened her mouth on all the things that you saw, there was always this many teeth were visible, and here that's entirely inconsistent with the way that. Really? Yeah, well, that's hardcore. Yeah. Even if, so, even if it was not literally. Laura Palmer's smile, it could have been intended to be, and they got yeah. as close as they could mm. try to be. So it still doesn't mean that that wasn't the meaning of... Yeah, I mean, the one, the most... the What I took out of it most in terms of characters that we've seen is Mother, um, the experiment. Yeah. The the thing that was sticking out, that yeah. jabby thing, yeah. um, had, had a lot of similarity to the thing that was spewing out mm. the Bob... Or, mm. Um, mm. in episode eight as well. Well, um, and look, this is just a thought that's just occurred to me is I also wonder whether Sarah Palmer is the vessel or the arena in which there is a battle between good and evil. Mm. Is she the dreamer? She's the person who dreams. She could be. I'm, I'm not sure. That, I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, the way you see Sarah Palmer's character over the last 25 years is, you know, she's clearly a broken woman. She sees things. There's bad things that happen in her house. She, but she desperately loves her daughter. Um, who dies, and then obviously all this bad stuff happens. Her daughter dies, her husband dies, and then we see the Sarah Palmer we see in season three is broken. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want, and and even in the scenes we see, whether it's the one in the the convenience store, or the supermarket, or when Hawk comes to see her at home, there is, seems to be this battle between a normal, ordinary person or a good person and this force or this presence that that's within her mm. and i don't know whether it's a battle or whether there's she's actively consciously suppressing this thing and it, it just sometimes just can't help but come out but i do wonder whether she's a, an arena for, for battle for good and evil to yeah well she's certainly together. a she's certainly a she's the epicenter of all this thing she is the mother so you know with the the orb that has bob in it and the orb yeah. that has laura in it she's married to the vessel for Bob, and she gave literally gave birth to 
the embodiment of the Laura Orb. Like, in terms of the person who's right front and centre with this abs- like clash of good and evil and all of these forces um, opposed, like, she's completely in the middle of that. Mm. Yeah. I just hope the way that it develops, it, they, it doesn't take the form of, well, she's always... She's had this evil inside her and during the time in which uh, the Laura Leland stuff was happening that she was ever under the spell of mother then or that she was a force mm. for evil just because I think that takes away the tragedy of that I agree. family yeah. story. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I know. I think she's... Uh, I think arena is a good term for her that somehow that she's played host to these mm. uh, you know, these forces in her house like mm. that and... Mm. On a very intimate level, so yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah. Well, either way, bad Sarah comes out, and boy, Mother Trucker really does get it, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And to, to be honest, he fucking deserved it. That's right. How many ladies are there in the world who just be like fuck? I wish I had that. Oh man, I, I, I wish I had That's that power. Superpower. Seriously, I mean, look, you know, we've talked a lot about the way in which women have been portrayed mm. in Twin Peaks, and we've. It's not always been that they've not always been portrayed as being strong or being, um, or that a lot of the time they've been suppressed. There's been awful violence that's been performed on a number of female characters, and here's a role reversal. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's she's taken it back. Yeah, yeah. And it was also interesting the way that that played out from uh, uh, the, the characterization of the the evil inside as well, mm. because she gave the dude a chance like it was she really it was not did. necessarily like here is evil ready to like looking for a victim it was here's a spirit of vengeance it was poked with a stick yeah. basically yeah. yeah that's right that's yeah. a really good analogy <laughs> yeah yeah well Stop it, fucking it, annoying the spiders yeah right? that's right <laughs> don't, don't, don't add that. Yeah, that's leave right. the wildlife alone <laughs> yeah, that's right um, and it also uh, gives at least some sort of context for when she has that freak out in the bottle shop because mm. um, the because tur- of the turkey jerky. Um, you and just she, wanted to say turkey. I just want to say turkey jerky. Um, the she's calming, you know, and she's coming herself down. Yeah. And she's saying, "Sarah, Sarah, just walk away, Sarah, Sarah." Like she's, you know, doing an incredible Hulk thing of trying to mm. yeah. calm down, calm, don't get angry, don't get angry. So yeah, um, and of course, the moment after he he drops dead with most of his neck gone. <laughs> Sarah drops back into her body and, yeah. and screams as... Um, I, I mean, I think that was a legitimately she didn't know what had happened there. Um, oh, yeah, oh, right. I, I, actually th- I think it's yeah. left open enough to go either way. Yeah, okay. So... Because a few she, lines later she does... Yeah, does she bail her... Mm. Um, you know, does she bail her actions by mm. screaming and like, oh, what happened? I don't know what happened. Mm. Yeah. It's just there. Um after she after she after she did totally gone for the jugular, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just fell. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He just walked into a door. Yeah. Um or she or she really yeah, she returns back to herself. I think yeah. it's open. Yeah. If ish. It pretty much goes without saying, but the beautiful reflection of the way she takes her face off to reveal the evil and the damage underneath. Yes. Reflected Absolutely. In Laura Palmer taking yeah. off her face and in its gold. White light. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. The, um, you know, the just to your point, Lynchy, about Sarah's response to the barman, who clearly knows that she's not on the art, mm. um, and she says, "Yeah, sure, is a mystery, huh?" The tone of voice with which she used <laughs> it was exact was very similar to when she says to Hawk, "This is a god. This is a bad story, Hawk. This is a goddamn bad story." Yeah, yeah, like right. From a few parts ago, so I, you know, there's there's something in her that drives that. Mm. That mindset. Yeah. yeah. Well, from one bar to another, we're back at the roadhouse. I love it. Oh, just very quickly. Oh, yeah. Before we go to the roadhouse, yeah. I just want to mention the bar that Sarah was in. Yep. Yeah. Back to my multiples of three. Yep. Yeah. Elk Point, oh, number, yeah. nine. number nine. Number nine. Yeah. Number nine. The number, number nine. nine. That Beatles song. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. It was there. Okay. It was there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let me just pull my face off for a second. Yeah. Uh, so we've got two girls in a the booth. They're talking about the nut house. And then they talk. Then they talk about Billy. I tell you what, this Billy character better be important because it just keeps coming up. Where's Billy? Where's Billy? And the the genius of like my mother told me about it. Like, who's your mother? My mother is Tina. 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 <laughs> How did you not say Audrey Hall? Oh, I know. I was I waiting know, for Audrey. I know. I know. I so so was. But yeah, I mean, look again. We get confirmation because Audrey has a dream that Billy was bleeding from the nose and mouth. Tina confirms to her friend yep. um, that he, when he did go to their house, he was bleeding from the nose and mouth. But, I mean, why the, they didn't call the police because yeah. they didn't yeah. know what to make of it. 
Yeah. Um, who's t- who, does anyone have a thought about who's Tina's brother? He says, I can't remember if my uncle was there, so that would be Tina's brother, presumably. Um, oh, yeah, it's a good question. I thought it might have been Charlie. I thought Charlie and Tina might be brother and sister. Do you know, I think I may have had that thought at the time and then not done anything with it. I oh, think okay. you may be right. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. It's not implausible. Yeah. Because Audrey hates Tina. Yeah. Mm. Um, you kind of got the feeling that maybe Charlie and Tina had had a thing, but no, maybe they're brother maybe and sister. Maybe they're just brother and sister. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, because it's really frustrating for me, and this is going to be one of those ones that um, in a couple of weeks' time, once we've seen further episodes, it'll all be obvious who Billy is and why the significance of it. But I'm finding it really hard to find out, okay, and then there's Tina and then there's Charlie and then there's Tina's daughter and then Billy came in. and yeah. like, it, Because we don't know who or what Billy is and the, his significance and his, of his character, mm. it's all just about talking about he said, she said, I saw him and then my uncle's cousin was mm. there and like all that crazy stuff. So. And a lot of that, um, a lot of these sort of new characters we've never seen and actually have no place or context... There are there are they're raised either in that particular booth at the roadhouse or obviously in that com- that first conversation that we see Audrey and, and Charlie have, mm. and it kind of feels and I think that there's probably other people who've said this on, on the net that it's got that sort of feeling of the soap opera trope. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and certainly, actually, the way that you see the the scenes between Audrey and Charlie that are filmed, it really does feel like some of those scenes in a in a daytime soap opera where all you just need is just put some Vaseline over the lens and <laughs> yeah. right bit, you can be back in days of our lives. Oh, yeah, there. absolutely. I yeah. Mean, particularly since there's only four episodes left after this one. And Ooh. Yeah, I know. Uh, and there's so many of the big picture items that need to be, if not resolved totally, there's a lot of action that needs to be happening. A lot of screen time is going to be taken up with the, yeah. the Cooper and the Sarah Palmer yes. stuff and yeah. all of everything there that... I, they're not going to be able to dedicate much time to this, so I wonder if it's just some some red herrings, some red herrings. But it's it's all linked to Audrey's story. Mm. But I wonder if Audrey's story is going to be whether it's that she's this is her therapist, that Charlie's her therapist mm. rather than her husband, mm. and that that it's not going to resolve the Billy story so much as represent something to yeah. Audrey. Yep. Yeah. I mean, look, I desperately, desperately hope that that is how they end up dealing with all of this stuff because if they, you know, try and uh, contrive a whole series of connections just to tie stuff up, I think that would be really disappointing. What if they tie up all of the Billy and Tina, just like the last three episodes are just devoted to that and we don't see a single <laughs> thing about Tony Cruz is like, well, last we saw him was yeah. in episode 14 in yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah. yeah, that's hilarious. So, as just as, I mean, just as a final question from me anyway, do you guys think that maybe Audrey's the dreamer? I think Whoa. that's amazing. That's fantastic. Yes. Wow. She was... She's been specified to have been in a coma. Was it, this is not know. hang on. This is not the first time that we've talked about this. Isn't we were saying that maybe Audrey is still. We've always said the fact that she can't leave the house and um, she sort of she thinks she wants to leave the house and then d- d- takes a coat off and that mm. she is trapped. And this this whole at least her scenes are actually still happening just in her head. Yeah. Mm. So that was there was a theory that the that those bits were were a dream. Yep. And that. <laughs> I, I said he's like the guy in Total Recall that that makes that tries to get Arnold Schwarzenegger to swallow the pill and come out of the dream. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but it's it's possible now that this is the entire series. Of- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be the ultimate soap opera. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so it's all a dream, and like your young Dale is there patting a hand, like that's all right, Audrey. Yeah. <laughs> wow. God. Anyway, look, I don't know, but, I mean, it's, it, it is entitled... Some of those scenes between Audrey and Charlie and the way that the, the dynamics change so dramatically between them, between episodes, Yeah. possibly. Um, there is obviously that Audrey's in a coma, but Christ, seriously, if she'd been in a coma for 25 years, you would have thought someone would have turned the life support off at some point. No, but, like, it might not... It, no, it, it, it might not have been 25 years. It might have been, like, two days. Like, this could have been two days after... Yeah. Dale comes... Oh, yeah. But, it, you know, because um, she's... Because she's dreaming, like, she can just dream... Yeah, 20, 25 years 25, has passed. Yeah. And, and that in some ways would explain, although I know this is an editing choice, but the way that time sort of is so fluid and we sort of go back and forth between, yeah. you know, scenes that are clearly out of chronological sequence. Mm. Grand. Oh, just looking at the credits, I th- this is the one that was in memory of David Bowie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And is this also the first uh, um, episode where 
Kyle McLaughlin has not appeared at all. I mean, aside from in the White Lodge um, Flash, I don't think the character... Oh no, he's he's he, no, he's had a couple of episodes where he hasn't appeared. I think I, don't, I think a couple of parts ago he wasn't in it. Do you mean Dougie or uh, or? Either. Um, no, no, I think we've had a, at least one other where he okay. hasn't appeared. I, I couldn't remember because there was the one where he just played catch for I five think, seconds. I think, oh, yeah. I think it may be the episode in which we first saw Audrey. Actually, that there was no Dougie, right? Dougie or Cooper. But we do see. I mean, we see pictures of him and stuff like that. So we see him. In the the Philadelphia flashback, we see him when Andy goes into the lodge and he sees the two yeah. Coopers part. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. and by the way, I absolutely love the way that that was filmed and the way that you sort of have this sort of very shuddery kind of camera work and then it's sort of like the splitting the of the atom. Yeah, yeah. And these two characters that um, emerge. It's yeah. tremendous. Was there a song at the end of the Roadhouse? It was Lissy singing Wild Wild West. Oh yeah. Um, look, I mean, I, there's nothing particularly super significant about the lyrics. No, other, I just, other than the obvious kind of stuff. No, yeah, I just thought she just gave a great performance. I thought, I thought it was, it was great fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't until you mentioned Lissy that I thought, oh yeah, that's right, I remember her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. All right, that probably just about wraps it up. So on that cheery note, thanks again for listening. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Damn Fine Commentary with Dave and Lynch. For the complete list of show notes and all the links, visit our website, daveandlynch.com. And if you like the show, there's two things you can do to really help us out. First, tell all your friends. And second, take a few seconds to rate us on iTunes. It makes a huge difference and helps other people find us. Look, did we miss anything? Do you have a comment, a question or a suggestion? Drop us a line at daveandlynch at gmail.com or you can follow us on your social media of choice. We're at twitter.com slash daveandlynch, facebook.com slash daveandlynch, instagram.com slash daveandlynch. (laughs) Yep, you get the picture. We're everywhere. Thanks for listening.